Welcome to The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion Podcast. I'm Danielle Rodoichin. Each episode features a conversation with a creative mind about the things that inspire them or that have given their life meaning in some way. From books, to art, to a piece of jewellery, these objects are collected into a cabinet which resides in physical form in the attic at 5 Carlos Place, the Matches Fashion Townhouse in London. My guest on today's episode is the art director Fabian Barron. You'll recognise his work from Kate Moss in the Calvin Klein Obsession ads, the low dissy perfume bottle, the Nars makeup branding and the reworked Burberry logo, the unforgettable fashion editorials for Vogue, Interview and Harper's Bazaar, not to mention Madonna's sex book, all of which have helped cement a reputation for having defined the aesthetic of the 90s and being the most prolific art director of the past 30 years. We sat down at 5 Carlos Place in Mayfair to talk about all of this and more. Fabian Baron, hello. Hello, how are you? I'm very well, how are you? Very good. It's wonderful having you here at 5 Carlos Place in London. At Matches. At Matches Fashion, and we're (laughs) here to celebrate the launch of your new book, which we have right in front of us here. Great. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. It was a journey. I can imagine, and I'm looking forward to hearing you talk about that a little bit. It covers just a tiny bit of your work from the last decades. Um, yeah, I mean, some, like, actually, it was very edited. It's very edited. There's a little bit of everything, and this part of it, Part of it is the magazine work, you have the furniture, you have like the film work, you have the design work, the fragrances, all the commercial work, some advertising campaigns as well for different clients. But also you have another side that people don't know of me so much, which is the work that I've done all along the years with photography that I've done for myself, um, drawings, different like studies and ex- artistic experiments and I've mixed everything together from early 80s work from early 80s and work from 2000 and to juxtapose them and realize like oh my god this is this is the same as the same you know like rooting or you know, the same um, visual codes in it and then they, they, they relate to one another it was very interesting process for me of course because um, finding all these juxtapositions were really interesting and and so in some respect that also discovered myself to a certain degree putting this book together so uh, it was a good process why was the moment to publish it now i think i'm entering a phase of my life where i want to uh, do things differently maybe focus more on specific things. I want to focus more on my personal work. That's why it's a little bit present in there. It's only a sample. Um, so, and also film, film work, because I've done a lot of commercials for many, many, many years. And now comes a time maybe where I would like to experiment in larger format and maybe a feature or something like that. So Feature film. Feature film. So I am actually working on looking at, you know, like uh, scripts and stories at the moment. And uh, I have a producer in LA and we talking about like, you know, you know, like making a film. That's exciting. 
So people and people all around the world, even if they don't know your name and they don't know much about fashion, they will definitely recognise your work. Um, the Calvin Klein logos, the perfume bottles for Isimiyaki, Giorgio Armani, the thousands of um, advert advertising campaigns, um, magazine spreads for interview, Italian Vogue, um, Harper's Bazaar, Arena on Plus. I mean, it's just endless. And I really wanted to talk a bit about your aesthetic mm -hmm. um, at this point. Um, I read the in, in your book, in the foreword, you say that um, provocation and contemplation are the two things you hope to achieve in your work. Yes, I feel pretty much like that. So can you give me an example of what that might mean? Well, I am someone, I think, like, you know, by looking at my work, you'll see, like, you know, there's, there's an aspect of it that is very provocative. I like to push certain ideas or to be a little bit on the edge, to be a little bit controversial with, like, things like, you know, like... Uh, I mean, the work I did for Calvin Klein, for example, or the Madonna sex book is just yeah. like... Those two things always get pulled up. I mean, I should and just say for people who don't know, obviously people know about Madonna's sex book from 1992, but also same sort of time, the Calvin Klein ad campaign that got pulled. Um, which yes, there's young a, couple, yeah, the yeah. Ca a couple of things I've done for Calvin that yeah. got pulled. I mean, Calvin was some, always someone that wanted to push the boundaries and like go a little bit more extreme mm. with his messaging. So... So you that know, was like a provocation. He found he found a good partner in me because mm. I'm, I'm I've, yeah I like to provoke I like to prov I think like that it is the role of someone that communicates to provoke something in people and to have you know a, a, a side of yourself that want to put things out there in a different way and kind of raising questions and that that's part of like you know wanting to get noticed and so maybe one side of it is wanting to get noticed the other side is you know, throwing new ideas out there that it is like about sexuality or it is about politics or it is about, you know, like different different subject doesn't matter. But the idea of putting, you know, new ideas out there that are not automatically what people would expect. So what about the contemplation side then? So the contemplation side is another, it's, I think it's a, my more, my inner side. Um, it is, you know, like, maybe more personal and it is about like in trying to strip down everything like I'm deep down I feel like I'm a sort of minimalist I like things that are extremely pure extremely simple and extremely easy to understand when it's on the page or it is in a photo in a in a in a photograph or it is like on a film I think like I do things in a very um in a very simple way for people to contemplate, you know, and I am personally someone that can sit in front of the sea for uh, forever and just contemplate. Tim Blanks put it put two other words. It's funny because he put also two other words. He put chaos and order, and it's also a very good, you know, combo for me. I think because that's the way I do work. I, I can collage something you know, like in 10 minutes and like use like scissors and like do it like very spontaneous like this, like, and it's messy and it's all over the place. And there's, you know, like in the Madonna Six Blue, there's like staples and like tape and it's all over the place. And then there would be like, you know, the minimal, like the perfect letter that has been redrawn to perfection over and over to make it like, and it's this, could it be this size or that size or this size? And it's very orderly and it's very together.
So I like that combination as well because I find opposite um, like when when you work with opposites, I think it creates it creates like you know a third element, and you know it creates tension and it creates like a, you know like something in your head that you start thinking. I mean, at least for me. And let's talk about beginnings a bit as well. Uh, your father had a similar job to yours. Yes. And you grew up in Paris. Yes. What was it that you took from him that helped you get your start? Maybe order. Maybe um, journalism. Maybe a sense of understanding how to convey a message in a very orderly way and how to, uh, you know, teach the reader how to, you know, like how to read and to pass the information and how to grow a word bigger if it was more important, if it was meaningful for what the message was. And I think that's what I learned. I learned like, you know, journalism and I learned how to pass information in a, in a proper way that was not automatically aesthetically the right way, but more the order of passing information to someone in an easy way so they get it. So it's about helping someone <clears throat> become, it's enticing someone, seducing someone yes. into the Yeah, there's a, the text. Of, there's a lot of seduction in that, but there's a lot of also like um, practicality, like rules, like to respect certain rules and practical ways to pass information, you know, like sizing and like, you know, like the deck, like how the captions and why the caption, and you need one, you don't need one, you know, like all these little things. And I've, which is a structure, which really, it's the architecture of communication in magazines and in newspapers. And how to, you know, I've learned that. That's, that's how I started. So it's a very, in a way, it's a very classic, practical education. Then I messed it up. <laughs> <laughs> how did you mess it up? Well, I, st I started to say like, okay, this is, this is the way it's supposed to be. Can we give it a look? Can we, can we, you know, can we change it a little bit? And then I, I, you know, the next exercise after like starting to play with the look and, you know, getting a little bit like away with things that were unconventional. My goal then was, how can I take it away? How can I bring it back, sift it down to the, the bare minimum? How can I like, take away, take away, take away. And how can the words become very important? And how, so working with the editors, how do you make certain words resonate, you know, not only for the meaning, but for what the shape was. And how this shape was acting next to a picture. And how the picture plus the shape plus the word and the meaning became actually something else. So, you know, like a subliminal messaging. Um, I got really into that. I really loved the story in Adam Gopnik's piece about you at the front of your book. And he talks, about, he's a journalist, and he talks about when you were working together and how you would go and see him in his office cubicle and you'd say, you'd wave the words in front of him and say, really? And he'd be like, yeah, those are the words. And you'd, and you'd be like, can't we just change it? And then he'd be like, no, those are the words. And you'd, you would gradually accommodate it and make it even better than he could have hoped it would be. Um, and I just thought that's such a, an interesting and amazing thing to be able to enhance the meaning of words. Well, I think like, you know, like, um, f first of all, Adam is, is a genius. I mean, like, and, and you know, he's such a 
amazing writer. I mean, the way he writes is, is amazing. And he kept me down so quickly when he wrote this essay on me, like, you know, like um, we hadn't seen each other for a while. And uh, he knows me from back then, like in the 80s. And uh, he got me down like so quickly. Like, you know, I went to the shrink for so many years. <laughs> there was no point. I should have come to him. He got me like really quickly. He got it done. Anyway, that said, um, to go back to your point, um, I, I, I think that, the sh you know, like um, objects, words, anything as, as a shape. They, they have, and there's a meaning around that shape, and and I think to me it was it was very important to that the word felt graphically like what it was meaning, or adding to that meaning that was feeding with the story, right? Or to adding to what is behind the magazine as a meaning. So like f certain boldness. Because the magazine was bold and it was like really more, a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more. Which magazine are you talking about? I, don't know, I, don't, I think, for example, like uh, the early interview magazine that like was extremely bold. I think the subject matter at the time was bolder. So that's why I took a bold phone and I started and it was more chaotic. The time was a little the bit more. The first time you were interviewed? The first time I was an interview, like right after Italian Vogue. And I did all this bold type, like really kind of like you know, like really black, because the, it felt like that at the time, it was a reflection of the time. It was a reflection of where the magazine was yeah. at the time. Andy Warhol had just died, he needed like a, something very crucially different and like a new voice. And, you know, like that was the way I expressed that. And that's the way with Glenn O'Brien, it was, you know, like one of the editors, I was working really closely. And, you know, we really got into this kind of like, um, um, like almost like a, it's, it's a game of throwing words and putting shapes around these words and like making it work like together and it, it was lovely it was a nice combination of of you know meaning and shape and forms mm. so we've spoken about the words and also what about the photographers and the imagery um, you've spoken about how you were influenced early on by the French Photographers from the or photographers for French Vogue in the seventies, like Guy Bourdin, Helmut Newton, um, but then it was really when you met Stephen Mizell and started working with him in the eighties that it seemed like you found your real momentum and sort of what you were all about. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to ask first of all about Mizell specifically. What was it about him that was that made such a magic? relationship for you two? I think we were at the same in the in the same place at the same time one wanting to do the same things and but from a different perspective I think like you know if he was the right arm I was the left arm and together we could like really all things together um, I, it, it felt that way when we started to work I mean like his vision of things is is really like um um is like a style editor is 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 a lexicon of fashion you know i'm not the lexicon of fashion i'm not like like as stylish as he is but i have you know a craft that is you know helping convey you know this amazing style that he has and i think like you know i was able to because of my 
deep respect for photography because I, I'm also a photographer. I think like, you know, I, uh, I was able to enhance people's pictures and these pictures first, you know, and then, you know, I realized that, you know, like, um, I kind of understood, like, I don't know why, how to put pictures together, how to paste them together, how to build a narrative out of pictures and more like sequential, like almost like um, when you build like um, a movie, like, you know, like it's, it's very sequential and then it's, there's a strong need for a narrative and for storytelling. And when you do a magazine, I feel it's almost like looking through a storyboard for a movie. And going back into with other photographers, I also like what you said about how when you were at Harper's Bazaar under Liz Tilburys mm. in the 90s in New York, you liked to mix and match unexpected photographers with models. So, for example, you would pair David Sims with Linda Evangelista or Peter Lindbergh with Kate Moss, mm -hmm. and then it would provide some kind of unexpected image. That I think it's in the same way I've built the magazine, like like we were explaining about the words and the shape, and how like the contradiction of things and the extremity of things. When you when, when you have extremes, like it, that's where you find you know, like there's somehow there's more space in between. There's more, there's more to see, there's more to, to do. So like to have David Sims with Christy to LinkedIn to me made a lot of sense because like, you know, logically would work with like, you know, a little grungy girl of the moment. But then you would have like the David Sims that you know. And then, you know, like uh, Christy would work with the Patrick de Marchelier. And then you would have a beautiful classic fashion picture. And that was done already, but the, to, to clash these two words together, I think, like, you know, created, like, imagery that was surpri surprising for the photographers, surprising for everyone. Most of the time, it worked really nicely. Like, I remember that story that David Sims shot uh, with Linda, and he didn't want to work with Linda, and Linda didn't want to work with him. And I said, like, come on, guys, you got to do it. And the story is, like, really iconic story, like, still today. It's amazing. It's when Linda, like, she whistles like that in the fingers and she's wearing a suit and like it's cool it's like out in the you know in the middle of the grass and it looks really cool I mean like you know and did they, I think what did they say to you afterwards after that so they didn't want to go beforehand but what, what did they say nothing afterwards? they didn't they didn't say thank no, you no of course no. no no of course not and it's fine it's it's that's my job you know what I mean that's I was just doing my job they must appreciate it really Probably, I don't know, yeah. I mean, they like to work with me, so, yeah. and I like to work with them, so it, there's a mutual respect. I respect, you know, photographers like David Sims for what they brought, for what they do, and for the craft that they have and how much they try and how much, you know, they're not content quickly with results that most people would say like, oh, that looks great, let's stop there. They continue to work. And Stephen is similar. Like you think like, oh, we get the picture. No, he's still shooting. Mm -hmm. And I like that. I like the, the, the idea that, that you have something in front of you and that, you know, you have like 90% of it done. And it looks amazing already. And you say like, no, let's go a little bit like, let's go 98%, wow. you know. And at 98%, say, let's try to push, like let's push 99. Let's see if we can get there. You know, it's very interesting way of working that's quite interesting because it's almost like that two percent at the end is maybe what is the difference between that's something difference. being good and being the brilliant. difference will be in those details and you know like it's tiny because like you know like then it's all about the hair like the makeup a little more this or the styling or the clothes and all these little details minutiae things 
do make a difference and they take the picture from being a great picture into more like maybe is it is it an iconic picture is it something that you're going to remember like 10 years from now is it going to like stay ingrained in your mind because it's so well put together and it looks like still like a moment so that is is i like that i like that that you know some people still today think that way and take the you know like the the approach of saying like i'm going to do it all the way and i'm not going to give up i think that's remarkable who do you think still doing that are there, is there anyone that springs to mind when you well, I, th I think like someone like David Sims, someone like Mario Sorrenti, someone like you know, Stephen Maisel, who, you know, like they, they are like that. And they, they, they're born with that in them and they, they're not going to give up and they're just going to go all the way. And of the younger people, I'm sure there's younger people that, that think that way. But I think because of the speed in which like, you know, internet is working and the social media and the phone, that everything became a little bit like, oh, we can do it quicker. We can do it like, oh, over, you know, like over the shoulder. It's not bad. It's not that it's bad. But is, is it that great, number one? Or is it like, you know, do we really adding something to the process of, you know, every time you open a camera, every time you do something with your touch, like, you know, anything that relating to communication, what do you want to say? And I think that it goes down to that. What do you want to say? And how you want to say it? And how far you want to say it? And how much you want it to have resonance and be relevant? It's up to oneself to decide that. But I'm the type of guy, unfortunately, that, you know, like, I'm going to do things all the way. And it's Why very unfortunately? Because you have to... Because it's tiring. It's really tiring. It's more work. You know, like, I know, like, a lot of people would do, like, you know, like, would stop where before I would stop. And, you know, like people like myself, like, you know, I've seen photographers, like, they take the picture and, it, and you go and you say, like, oh, it's okay, but it's, you know, there's more, in, there's more. And that's what you want. And then when you train to be that person, like that, it's like, you know, you become, it's like a professional, you become professional, it's like a tennis player that is really like, you know, really good at what he does. He knows and exactly he can put the ball right there on the line, like eh, just that inch of space. It's gonna, it's gonna make it there because he knows he can. If he really wants to, he knows he can. And someone else is just gonna go like wherever, you know. And that's the point. It's like, what do you want? What person you want to be? I, I like that precision, that control. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the chaos. But when you have the control, then you can be chaotic because somehow you know how to throw it out there. Let's talk about Kate Moss. Okay. You have a special relationship with her. Um, and you had a very big part in shaping her career, especially at the beginning. Um, she wrote a nice, she said some very nice things about you at the beginning of her book. You designed her book that she published a few mm -hmm. years ago. For people who don't know, can you tell, tell us a bit about what it was like when you first started working with her? So basically, the, um, I'd seen a picture of Kate, and I think it was David Sims' picture. And um, at the time, David was just starting as well. I don't know if it was a David Sims' picture or Corinne Day picture, but I remember seeing this picture of this girl, and it was Kate. And I looked, and I, 
I remember, I don't know if it was in the face or what, you know, which magazine, or it was just a tear sheet. But I remember I said, oh, that girl is so cool. She's like, she looked, she looked like today. Back then in the 90s, she looked exactly like today. She was to me like the perfect representation of what today was about. And um, when I started Bazaar, um, suddenly, uh, the the bookings editor uh, said, like, "Oh, like we should we should work with this girl." And I look at her. I said, "Oh my God, that's the girl that I thought was so interesting. We should definitely do a story." So she was in the first story of at the Upper's Bazaar in the first issue, and she did a story with uh, Patrick de Marchelier. And then at the time of starting as well with Calvin Klein, and he had wanted to do. Um, and this is an interesting story. He wanted to do um, his jeans campaign with Vanessa Paradis. So he had shown me a picture of Vanessa sitting down on a pair of jeans and she was sitting down on the ground. And, and she looks quite cool. So like we tried to get her and she said, no, she turned it down. And she said, like, I mean, like, oh, what are we going to do? Like, I really want someone like that. I said, like, you should meet this girl. Like, okay, you know, she's a model, like she's starting. Just here, we shot with her last week. You know, like she's really intriguing. You have to go and meet her. So we called her up. We gave her a pair of jeans, and maybe maybe it was me like being tricky. But what I did is say like, oh, why don't you sit down like this? And I put her a little bit in the same pose that Vanessa Parody was. And Calvin was there in the room, and he went like, like this. He was like stunned. So like, she's perfect. And that was it. She had Calvin like. Barely a month later, she had a contract and she was doing old Calvin. And that's the power that Kate had when she first started. She, before being a model, which she's brilliant at, she's a person and her character, her soul comes out in the imagery. It's not... I don't believe like she, she has great style, she's cool, uh, she's beautiful, but she's full of imperfection. And you know, like she has little crooked legs, she has a little bit shorter legs, like she's not super tall. She like she went really like totally opposite to the criteria, you know, at the time when you had like, you know, you you were supposed to be like six, seven six feet tall, yeah, it was you know, like, models. Yeah, yeah, like beautiful, big. like absolutely exquisite. Kate had like a little twisted, like a little smile with like crooked teeth, like, you know, she, she had so much character. And in her eyes, in her attitude, in, in who she was, I think it's her personality, who she is as a person that made Kate Kate. So it's, to me, it's, it's all her. It's not the people around. It's all her and what she was able to give and to keep and to give and to keep and not to give and and play like that with every photographer in a way and make them discover a new person every time. And she spelled everyone. She did. Me, Calvin, you name it. And if every photographer, she 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 has she had she had that magic and, what, tell me about and then obsession came up yeah and tell then me about uh, that. you know like she was at the time i just had given uh, mario sorrenti a contract at bazaar because you know you know he came up to uh, the magazine and he showed me all these books 
you know, like his journals. And he had all these like pictures, collages, little graffiti here, little drawing, collage, tape, like pictures like Polaroids, like glued, like, you know, like then, you know, like a pieces of sea print that silhouetted, like pages and pages and pages and lots of pictures of Kate Moss in it. And they were going out together as a couple, like they were a couple. And they were, you know, and I saw all these pictures of Kate. They were like, my God, these pictures are amazing. Like this, they were so real and so like nothing. They were like nothing. So, you know, like I started like, okay, let's, do you want to start to story? Let's do a story. And so we did a story at Bazaar and he shot Kate, you know, and the pictures were beautiful. And that was it for me. It was a Bazaar family. He was adopted right away. He's Mr. Charming as well. Doesn't hurt. Um, so he had a lot of, you know, like Kate, Mario, like that. That thing was really great. And um, Calvin wanted to do like re redo Obsession. And he was asking me, which way, which way can we do it? Like, what can we do? And then that's where I thought like, but, you know, like, and he wanted to use Kate. I said like, but we have to use Mario because he's obsessed with her. And that's all, that's the whole stories right there. And then, you know, I said like, but maybe what we should do is like send them away, like, you know, on a vacation, give them a camera, give them a film camera, a 16 millimeter camera, and let them do what they think. And nobody, no hair, no makeup, nobody, just them two. And um, Calvin thought it was a wow, that's quite uh, different. He liked it right away. That's the good thing about Calvin. The minute you propose things that are a bit different, that could be something, He's smart, he gets it, and he, he said yes. So we send them a week in vacation in Jamaica. And that's it. And, I, and I, nobody was on set. And the, the pictures, like in the film, everything, they did everything themselves. Apparently, Mario told me they fight all the time. <laughs> <laughs> the, the real story. I said, well, that's great. It's an obsession, at least. <laughs> You've worked for some of the great magazine editors. Mm -hmm. Franco Sazzani, for Italian Vogue, Liz Tilburis, Harper's. You worked with Karine Whitefeld at French Vogue in the early 2000s. Um, what do you think makes a great magazine editor? Uh, a point of view. And how she wants to manage that point of view. And how she wants to describe that point of view. And how she wants to, you know, execute that point of view. I think it's a different layers. and you know, like, uh, if I take the example of Franca Sozzani, I think she knew exactly what she wanted. I was just an instrument to deliver what she needed, you know, and I didn't mind doing that. I think it was great. I think she's a, she was a very powerful editor and she knew exactly how to handle Italian Vogue and how to handle that market over there in Italy and how to deal with all the designer there. And like she, she really ruled like a, like a, you know, like, like a king over Italy and the media and fashion media for more than 25, 30 years, like almost. She was there, 25 years. Yeah. So, she, you know, like the point of view, and she had a very specific point of view, and she, she said like Stephen Mazel cover, Stephen Mazel story every time. It's like this, that was her thing, and she st stuck to it. And she didn't change. And it paid off. It did pay off. 
with your relationship what's your relationship with the editor is it always the same or if it, have you had is it more of a combative no thing it's with different people, because or? like you know like when you think about franca franca was a very strong-minded person that was you know like very um hands-on and you know like if i take the case of liz tilbury it's what she had a, an, another approach a very different approach i'm not saying her approach was manipulative because it was not <laughs> but like I think what Liz did, she surrounded herself with people she really respected and liked, gave them the room to express themselves, but made the final decision what to print and not to print. And it's quite smart because everybody was really happy. And the only thing you wanted to do is to please Liz Tilbury's. So, I mean, somewhere, that was, she was the smartest because she knew how to catch flies with Arnie. <laughs> um, Karen was different. Karen is like, you know, she's, she's, an, she's a sittings editor in the first place. She's really someone that loves being on set. She loves touching the clothes. She loves creating stories. She loves doing editorial and making the story. You know, like an editor like Franca, an editor like Liz Tilbury's, they were in the office, they were building the magazine as a whole. And they were looking at it from further away and they were like you know kind of like representing the magazine on the market with the designers the clients and everything they had a, a, a broader vision like Karen always liked to still put her hands in the in the you know like in a in the dough and like making the cake you know she liked that and on one hand there's a plus to that because you you really you product you really control your product all the way from the beginning to the end. On the other hand, maybe your focus is not, uh, you know, you, sometimes you need to have a step back to really understand the overall vision or something, you know, to, and sometimes you just like have to not touch things. Um, but, you know, that was our approach and it was, it was a valid approach. And like, you know, like uh, there's many editors today that still do sittings, you know, at the time. I felt a little bit like, is this the best way she of utilizing her knowledge and what she is, or like does she need to let go of that? To I did I discussed that with her like many times, and she said, no, I love to, I love to do sittings, <laughs> I love to do stories, and I understand like it's like me if you tell me I don't take a picture, or if you like me don't do layout, or like you know when there's a story don't do layout yourself. Um, once you done this you know it's hard to let go of it i also wanted to ask you about arena on plus mm -hmm. because you're so often associated with new york and women's magazines um although obviously you did work at um, gq as well um but yeah what well, you it's funny to think of you in london where you were working with carl templer mm -hmm. um in that office on i think it's Exmouth market you yes. know, we're, we're in the same building as the face magazine yes. and obviously it was a very culturally vibrant time in London. Definitely. What's that like? It's a bit of an aberration almost for you. Well, not really, because at the time, I think I was stepping out of, I, th I was stepping out of Bazaar. So stepping out of Bazaar, I left when Liz died of cancer. I, I left and, you know, like I left right away. I finished her issue and then I, I, I just like quit. And then I was a little bit like, oof, I don't want to touch magazine. I really don't want to touch magazine. Bazaar was great, like now it's time to like, you know, do other things. I have my agency, like I can work for 
all my different clients, maybe more personal work, maybe artwork, this, that, you know. So, and then Carl Templer came along and, and he said, do you want to take pictures for Irina and Plus? I work for them. And we were doing like some, you know, like clients together. And he was, you know, and I said, oh, this is interesting. Like, why not? Like, I never wanted to do a fashion picture. Like, all my career I spent taking pictures, but they were landscape, there were other things. I didn't want to do a fashion picture because I was afraid, being the art director, that the photographer would start looking at me a bit weird, like, you know, like, oh, why well, you come on my set? You copy my light. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. And so it was a tricky position to be in, like, you know, so. Um, but I said yes. I said yes because I, f I found that maybe it was time, like it was time to do something else. And I felt, okay, well, it's men's fashion. It's different. It's not women. So it's almost like something that most photographers don't really care about at the time. So maybe I do that and I'm going to take a picture that nobody's taking. So like this, I don't feel like, you know, I'm getting influenced by this one or that one. And I started to do these very, you know, action pictures that were very like uh, elaborate, almost like a, um, a movie still, like, you know, with like very action-y, like someone going through glass, like, you know, like things and with very elaborate, you know, like, dapper lighting, which at the time people were not really doing. So like, I, I was very careful not to step on anybody's toes. And I started and I enjoyed it. What do you think of those pictures in that magazine now when you look, look back at it? Um, different, interesting. Me, maybe not 100%. Maybe not 100%. But I, you know, I, I don't mind. Some of them I, I do like. Can you remember when magazine layouts first started relying on computer software when those programs started coming in? And I think around the time when I started uh, the second interview, no, the first interview, the first time interview. So we're talking about like uh, early '90s. Did you enjoy, did you embrace it? Did you? Did you oh like yeah, yeah, right away. Yes, yeah. it was complicated to understand the way it worked and everything. I remember the little Mac like round and it was weird. Like, <laughs> you couldn't see anything, it was big dots. And like, I said like, oh, I'm not sure, it's complicated. Because I was doing everything, Xerox machine, scissors, like yeah. cutting, you yeah. know. And then like, you know, like it got better really quickly. And I said like, wow, this is great. This is like all the things you want to do that you cannot do, you can't do now suddenly. So, so it was but, things that you'd already, you could, you oh, had yes. in your head. Yeah. Oh yes, 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 you couldn't really do because you couldn't, you couldn't visualize it. Now it was on the screen. You had the lay certain layering and everything you couldn't you couldn't do. What do you think about now when um, they manipulate uh, the designers or um, editors manipulate images so they might take a hand from one photo and place it in a photo with another from another model? I don't mind that. You do? No, I don't mind that. I think it's okay. You know, painters do that, don't they? True. Yeah, they paint over their own pictures. Is it the Da Vinci, like a famous, um, what do you call it, the Christ, like behind yes. is another, there's another, there's another painting. It when yeah. they yeah. it. So yeah. that's true. So you're talking about magazines having a very strong point of view and um, which magazines do you think are around at the moment that do have a strong point of view? I like more the independent magazines because I think they, their approach 
um, is is more of an opinion. I think like magazines today, they need to have an opinion. They need to be very precise with what they have to offer. Um, it's not about service anymore, obviously. Uh, it's about I think it's about an opinion. It's about standing up for something that is that you have to believe in and how to put it down on paper. Otherwise, I think it's it's kind of useless. I think like magazine becoming more and more like almost books, you know, collectibles. Yeah. Like you want you want the magazine to be an object now. Yeah. You don't want it automatically to be a throwaway. To be throwaway like it's kind of like you know it's meaningless and also all that paper everything like the way you know like you feel you want to keep things um and you want things with a real meaning so um magazines i like i mean like you know the, there's a couple of fashion magazines that i appreciate you know like but they're more like smaller magazines you know um Would you, which ones self-service for example i think ezra's doing a good job you know, Purple has done a good job for years. And there's a lot of smaller ones as well that, that I think they, they're really trying to make a point. Um, but magazines are in a weird place because on one end you have the extremely commercial magazines, like this, what I call the supermarket magazines, where everything has to be smiley and like, you know. And, you know, that's not working. And the overtly independent magazine, when they give the photographer 30,000 pages to do uh, someone like half naked wearing like, you know, pair of underwear and you never see the clothes. That's not working either. I mean, there's a lot, a lot in between that can be, you know, like I think it's problem independent is going too far, like one way and the commercial is going too far commercially. And when you see like social media, I mean, I, I would hope that magazines will learn from social media that, you know, like there's a lot of possibilities out there and I don't think like magazines have exploited them in the right way yet so there's still there's still hope for magazines I think mm. but I think you're gonna need to have something you need to eat something it needs to be like you need to be taken by by stories you need you need to remember where with social media Instagram you just pass by you you know the things just like pass by you you know you swipe Magazine, you need to stop. You need to think. You need to read. You need to get immersed. But you need a good story then. You know, you need a good narrative. Well, is it true that I read about you doing stuff with Instagram? Is that true? Or is that just rumors? Yes, we part of a um, lab with them and we kind of like um, are in discussions about like, you know, where and how Instagram can work with fashion and why, you know, like I'm, I'm very, very opinionated about certain things about film that I don't want my film to go square or to go vertical. I don't want it to be cropped. I want them to be horizontal <laughs> and I want them to be able to turn the, cam the, the camera horizontal, even though it's not practical for Instagram because everybody's using their phone vertically. I think at one point there's, you know, like the, the medium of film has been existing for a long time now. And to be efficient in film, the horizontal format is necessary to build a narrative, to build a situation, to understand like, you know, a foreground, a background, a story, a 
character one, character two, character one talk to character two and vice versa, character three comes in. If you do that in a square, it's impossible. It's like a mess. A lot of brands out there, the, the, the way to do it is to just follow the rules of saying like, it's got to be square and they cut the film and then you don't even understand what they're talking about. You lose the point when it was shot horizontal. You know, like, let's make square cameras then. <laughs> I don't know, like, I think it's, it's gonna... The square's the problem. Yeah, the square's the problem, but also like, you know, like trying, you know, we're building ideas with Instagram, so like, let's develop special programs or special way of visualizing, you know, a campaign. How do you use Instagram and, you know, like your partners and like you can build like, special packaging and special things that would, you know, benefit everybody. So, mm. so we're part of that lab with Instagram. Okay. And then just before we finish, so you've done so many amazing logos. Do you have a favorite? I know which one's my favorite. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Which one? I, I think the CK Calvin Klein. Oh, that's one. the people like that one. Yeah. Yeah. At Nas. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, Nas is pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I think Nas is pretty good. Um, yeah, I don't know. I like my logo, B&B. &B. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, like, um, no, I like I like the work I've done for Calvin, like, graphically. And also, like, uh, I like the Nas logo as well. I think that was a good, at the time, it's still solid today. It's yeah. still, like, you know still feel feels relevant and modern time, yeah. and and we're talking about like early 90s like really even the ck1 no, no, yeah. bottle feels modern yeah ck1's cool yeah, too really cool today. yeah it's still relevant kids today, today love that because, stuff so you know like when there's an emotion and it's real it lasts you know it's the things that are packaged as like a only a look look passes they do pass that's what fashion does it passes it goes back and forth and a little bit of 70s, 80s, 90s, back in 70s, back in the 80s, you know, whatever. But like, you know, it passes. But once you throw an emotion in there, when you throw a real feeling and something that is has real meaning for people, it sticks, you know. And that's what I'm interested in now. I'm interested, that's why I want to do film. Because that, I think, would be, you know, a full combination of all the things I've learned. Like I would like to focus with all that knowledge on the emotion. Well, I think that's a really great place to end. So Fabian Baron, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. It was great. Lovely. That was an episode of The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion podcast. You can find more episodes and more about Five Carlos Place on the Matches Fashion website and you can join the conversation on social media by searching for at Matches Fashion, at Matches Fashion Man and the hashtag Five Carlos Place. Thanks for listening.